My name is Bear, and this is Sawdust Boogie. If you desire to reconcile being an old soul in a new world, stick around. You're welcome here. You guys know what that was? That was my wild dog, Arlo. Probably five years old, six-year-old boxer. Uh, Oh, you know what? Welcome to Sawdust Boogie. Sorry. That's the intro I get when I come home from work. So screaming down the road, F-150. It's a a back road. I try and be respectful. So I'm going to say 45, 47, 48 miles an hour, something like that. And I get to my turn. And I live about 100 yards down off of this turn. And no joke, sometimes if the weather's right, I can hear those dogs barking with excitement for me to get home. Now, as much as I love my dogs, let me tell you what stresses me out is some barking dogs. So I get home from a stressful day of work, and that's what I'm greeted with. But then as soon as I start a conversation with somebody, usually my wife, try and give her a big hug. Let's not mention that he doesn't like to have people hugging without being in the middle of it. So I get home, try to talk to my wife for a few minutes about how her day is going. And that is literally, he will not stop doing that until I take the time to acknowledge him, respect him, pet him, and love on him. And that is when he will finally stop just griping at me. Uh, But it's adorable to you because you just heard it for 20 seconds one time. I hear it every day. But again, I love my dog. I got a special bond with that dude. I don't know why. He's a butt, but I love him. Anyway, that wasn't even uh, planned to be talked about, but I was just so blown away with how loud he was being when I got home. Uh, That was my wife trying to tell me about some pants that that she had recently purchased, by the way. You can't even hear her talking. That's what's so crazy about it. Solo podcast number two, what I've named the new norm. Here's why. It's hard to get guests in here. It's hard to want to commit to being here when a guest is going to be here because I work and I'm tired and I got a lot of stuff on my plate. But I love talking to you guys. Now, a few of you have told me that you really enjoy the solo podcast, uh, more so than the previous podcast. No offense, Charles, Uncle Phil, we all love you. Matt, we're going to have you back. I don't care what people say. No, I'm just joking. Everybody loves all the podcasts, but I have heard that uh, people really like the solo podcast. And I thought, you know what? It's a lot easier for me. I just take notes in my phone about things I want to talk about with you guys. And uh, we talk about them. So let's give it another shot. So like I said, solo podcast number two, affectionately named The New Norm. First on the list was explanation of solo podcast. So we have done that. Next on the list, love fiasco. And I don't mean L-O-V-E because I have a wonderful love life with my beautiful wife. And we just returned from an incredible anniversary camping trip, which we're going to talk about later. I'm talking about L-U-V, light utility vehicle, 1972 to 1982, precursor to the Chevy S10, manufactured in Japan. Stressing me out, boys and girls. Stressing me out. I've had my love, my 1980. I'm sure you've all seen it. Cute little red step side, four-wheel drive, four-speed manual. I've had it for uh, six years. I looked it up on the Instagram the other day. 
six years. In that six years, we've shared many amazing times, including uh, really my wife falling in love with me when we first started dating. Uh, we drove away from the wedding in that. Um, I mean, I just have so many incredible memories with that truck, but she's been giving me some fits, boys and girls. Second motor I've had in it, and this one's used as well. I, Matt Ross, let, I'm gonna, maybe you remember this, but we actually traded a Fender Reverb unit for a Chevy Love that was running in his impound lot. And so uh, I, I took that from him, two-wheel drive model. Pulled the motor out. With, we knew it had over 100,000 miles on it uh, and replaced my motor that came in the truck, which we threw a rod bearing on it, laid into probably, I would imagine, 130,000 miles or something like that. So used engine. We inspected it. It looked good. We put it in there and got many years out of it. We really did. Uh, but the trouble started about two years ago, right before my wedding, uh, a head gasket blew. That was a big one. So luckily, Uncle Phil is a master love mechanic. Hold on a second. My mic stand's sagging here. I don't uh, have one of those fancy gooseneck ones like you boys on the real podcast do. Uh, but I do got a nice mic, SM7B. What's up? So basically, we took the head off, put the head gasket on. Everything was fine. I was still seeing some... Uh, some milk in my in my radiator fluid, but eventually that went away. Everything was fine. Well, a few months back, I was driving it, and she just stopped dead in her tracks. And uh, I'm so ignorant to what goes on inside of a motor and a transmission. I'm not happy about it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm embarrassed about it. But I'm so ignorant to what's going on in there that it felt like a transmission issue to me. And there were some noises coming from the transmission. So I still had hope because it was a manual transmission. And every redneck I know is like, you don't need to pay anybody to work on a four-speed. You can just do it yourself. It's nothing to it. Well, again, I've never been in one. But as far as I know, it's got like a bunch of Johnny Fives in there running that thing. I, that motor, man, locked up. So... I'm frustrated with that love. I still love it. I really do. It's an incredible truck. At the end of the day, it doesn't do much other than look cool and climb up a tree. So I needed something a little bigger. We're going to talk about that later. But the bottom line is the love's going to sit for a while. There's a gentleman that has a brand new rebuilt motor, supposedly on one of the groups I'm a part of. Uh, I'm just waiting for some receipts because I don't buy what somebody claims to be a new motor without some proof. Because again, I know very little about what happens inside that block. So if he comes through on that, then I'm going to buy that motor. And he's also going to give me the original AC components, which means that it'll have a third life with zero miles on the block and a fully functioning AC system. And now we're talking about a reliable truck that can actually take me back and forth to work like it used to do. Uh, I remember wrecking my 2010 F-150 when I lived in Cabot, I drove that baby straight off a, a, a hill, basically, slammed it into a tree, had to have three or four weeks worth of stuff done to it in the body shop, Matt Ross's shop again, Pro Auto, Conway. They ain't paying for nothing. You just need to know those dudes rule, whether it comes to uh, body work, collision repair, towing. They're just honest dudes. But anyway, uh, that thing was out of commission for three or four weeks, and I drove that love 45 minutes one way from Cabot to Conway 
for that whole time. And I'm talking, if you guys know that road that I'm talking about, 107, that stretch is some big old hills. So you can imagine 285-pound man in a small little 1.8-cylinder gas burner with a four-speed with no overdrive trying to make it through there. But I did it with a lead foot, and that truck happily took care of me. So I know it likes that task. I just really want a motor with no miles. I really do. I've never gotten to experience it with a classic car. We're close to experiencing it with the Imperial because that motor uh, is finally rebuilt and probably in long block phase now. So it's on me to get a new uh, wiring harness from Painless, but blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I don't, God, I got too many vehicle projects is what it sounds like on microphone. Anyway, uh, so if that dude comes through, we're going to pop that motor in there and I'm going to have a good, reliable truck again. And I cannot wait. If that doesn't happen, I think she's going to get covered up for a while so I can take a break from that being what I've worked on for the past six years, Uh, which raises a question. And I would love some suggestions. What the heck do you do with a truck that might sit for a year or two that you don't want to rot because you still want to work on it, which I feel like every dude with a truck in a field says that same thing about every truck in a field, you know, but I don't want to be that dude. So I don't mind popping tires off, putting it on blocks. Like I'm I'm really kind of open to a lot of different things. I just do not want rats to get my harness. I don't want cats having babies in my interior. You know what happens when you leave a car sitting. We don't need snakes in the truck bed. Okay. So if anybody's got any suggestions on that, I would love them, but it's time to move on to what I did purchase. And what we do need to talk about is how miserable this truck market is right now, guys and girls, hopefully. I'm sure a lot of you like me were told your truck is worth a lot of money right now. And it is, it is. So my truck 2020 F-150, I don't even think it's an XLT. I think it's an XL. Uh, This four-wheel drive has less than 15,000 miles on it. They gave me a very good offer on that truck. Here's the problem. Take that money and go buy something else, which that's my only reliable vehicle right now. And it is very reliable. Um, So we, the whole conversation started with me saying to my wife, I think we could do better things with the money that we're spending on a new truck for me or a truck payment in general, when really I require very few things out of my truck. That is power, four-wheel drive, heat and air conditioning, and a good radio, okay? When we boil it down to the essentials, that's what I need, and a bed to load things, okay? So I said I would rather have something that is more uniquely me than just a 2020 XL in a cool color. You know, it's it's a beautiful truck. Don't get me wrong. If you boys are interested, let me know. She's going to be on the market. We put some awesome ATs on it. I mean, I love that truck. I literally have no complaints about that truck other than the fact that it's a big payment for a truck that does basically those four things. I don't have power seats. I don't have a fancy navigation system in there. I don't have all, I don't have a sunroof. I don't have any of the things that a lot of guys pay good money for a truck to have. So I don't necessarily need that stuff. So with that in mind, I said, let's go out on the market. Let's take the equity from this truck, which would have been roughly 10,000, give or take, if, if the deal would have gone the way we wanted it to go. And I said, let's go find something that we can pay cash for and leave me a few thousand dollars to make improvements. And let's, let's do better things with that truck payment. You can keep a new reliable vehicle, but let me break away from this cycle of buying vehicles 
that cost money every month and let me get into what I love, which is older vehicles with character. And so on the hunt, we went with a pretty decent budget. I thought $10,000 to get yourself something kind of low mileage. Really the whole conversation started with long bed Ford from the seventies. So now that I've done my research, we're talking dent side and bump side for any of you Ford nerds out there. Uh, so then my wife being the practical one said, well, are you going to get an extended cab? And I laughed, <laughs> extended cab. Do you know how rare those are? And then I thought, wait a second, I'm about to sell my main vehicle, which is a crew cab. And I can literally load a whole drum set in the back of this truck and lock the doors. Now, as a musician, you guys know how imp incredible that is to be able to do that with your drums. Tinted windows, nobody ever knows what I've got back there. I love that. Well, you can't, you can't do that in a long bed Ford. So that was the first thing, drums for me. Second needed to be the dogs, which to me, I'll just throw dogs in a truck bed. But she wanted a space for her old Cuddly. dog, Asher, who I love, but he's a little chunky, doesn't really jump very well. Kind of got to make things easy on him. He's about 95 pounds, I remember right. Uh, so big old Asher, Chungus, he needed somewhere to go. So then the search got narrowed down. Extended cab or crew cab, which is even more rare, long bed Ford. Then she says, well, are you going to get a four-wheel drive? And I said, well, I guess I need it if I'm selling my four-wheel drive. So boom, there's another one. Now we're getting tougher. Four-wheel drive, extended cab, 70s, dent side or bump side with, with lowish miles, right? So automatically now I see that that number is starting to creep up. So we're, we're above $10,000 now. We're into that 12, 13, 14, $15,000 for something reliable from that era. And those trucks do exist, boys and girls. And there are plenty of good dealers that I felt like I could trust that really were meticulous about what trucks they listed. I'm sure, I think a lot of them were um, consigned, but either way, these were beautiful trucks. Um, Cool classic rides online. I think that was one that had a bunch of them that really specialized in them. There's a few. If you guys go to like Hemmings Motor News uh, used sales, you'll see there's a lot of reputable dealers out there for that stuff. But again, so now we're we're five thousand over the budget that we originally talked about. Well, where's that five thousand dollars going to come from? Well, I don't really feel comfortable taking that from savings. She doesn't feel comfortable taking it to take out another loan for that would be small, but it'd be ridiculous considering what we're trying to do. So the number kept creeping up. And then I thought, well, maybe I ought to get something a little more modern, a little more reliable. So we made it into the 80s trucks. Then we made it into the 90s trucks. Next thing I know, I'm looking at a 94 F-250 with like 85,000 original miles on it. And it's a $20,000 truck and it's a thousand miles away. Well, we were so close to pulling the trigger on that. And I've talked to so many people. Like I talked to my stepdad. I talked to Uncle Phil. I mean, those dudes probably got so tired of me talking about trucks to them, but they hung in there. They were supportive. They were very good to like not do the whole, like when you break up with a girlfriend, they're like, oh, that girl sucks. And then you get back with her and then they feel terrible. They were all very great about that. So props to all you guys for being just very mature about how you handled the advice to me because I felt loved and I felt taken care of, but I felt like a lot of great points were raised. John Baxter, same thing. I mean, he was so gentle about the way that he told me you're being an idiot, basically, that, that I was able to kind of see the error of my ways. So I told Jessica, I said, we're not doing it. Deal's off. I'm keeping the truck. That's the end of it. And then a couple days passed. 
and another truck popped up literally in the backyard of our store. A gentleman that runs a car wash detailing business back there. I went to go pick my truck up from the oil change and detail place because I said, well, you know what? At least I can get my truck cleaned and feel better about it. So driving back in my beautiful F-150, I can't remember the name, Velocity Blue, jamming some tunes on the killer sound system, stock sound system. I ain't got no bows or whatever they sell with it. Uh, Jamming along. And what do I see in John Doe's driveway? A 1996 F-150 four-wheel drive extended cab with 65,000 miles on the odometer. Now, I'm not like you punk kids these days that don't realize that it used to be a five-digit odometer and that every time you're like, this is a 20,000-mile original, it's really a 120,000-mile original or even a 220,000-mile original. I'm a sensible man. I know that's not the case these days. And my dad taught me to look at a brake pedal to see how many miles you got on a truck. So let me explain that real quick. If a truck truly had 20,000 original miles on the odometer, there would be nowhere on the brake pedal pad itself, right? If a truck has 120,000 miles on the odometer, you're going to see consistent wear on that pad where they've been hitting that brake pad over the years. When you hit 220, the thing's barely hanging on there. So that's the way I, that's what I use to tell what an odometer is rolled to, whether it's I'm I'm not going to say it's accurate. It's accurate. It's worked great for me. Anyway, this is a 96. In 1992, they switched to a digital odometer. So guess what? It's a six-digit odometer. This thing literally says 065 and change. My mind almost exploded. And it was the same story you hear all the time. Oh, an old man owned this. He took great care of it. But here's the deal. This old man did take great care of it. He literally had a label maker. And every time he did something maintenance-wise, other than an oil change, he would put a label near the part. So as soon as you open up the driver door, what do you see on the frame? You see a label that tells when those tires were put on that truck and the size of the tire. I mean, it's insane. It was insane. So needed a tune-up because it had been sitting. The old man passed away a few years. Anyway, I told the gentleman that had the truck, I said, man, I'm, I'm going to buy this truck from you pending an inspection from Ford in the morning. Is that okay with you? For your asking price. And he said, absolutely. And I said, meet me there at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, guess who calls me at 745 and says, the truck sold last night. So not only did he not have any business selling me the truck, which I kind of knew in my gut, uh, he, he also never bothered to tell whoever the real seller was that he had a real, a real bite on the line. So I lost that one. I was devastated. Like, you know, when you go to buy a house, uh, actually Taylor, Taylor Weston was talking about this today. We had a social media meeting at work. You want people to picture themselves in that home or, or Airbnb as Taylor was saying this morning. But when you're selling a home, you you want people to walk in and say, oh, my goodness, I can see my kids playing at that bar and my wife cooking us a meal, blah, blah. I mean, bar top, not like a real bar. You shouldn't let your kids play in a bar unless you want to like, no, don't let them play in the bar. Don't let them play in the bar. Anyway, you want to you want to picture yourself in that situation, right? So I had fallen in love with the picture of me in that low mileage F-150, okay? My dream was crushed. So another few days and I just stopped. I just quit. And you got to realize, guys, in this market right now, if you, I'm not even joking and I'm a, I'm a Facebook marketplace junkie. I've got a feeling a lot of you guys are that are listening to me because I feel like it's a common thread with us. You got to stay on that like a hawk if you're trying to buy anything vehicle wise right now. So I was I was on it like a hawk and then I would my heart would be broken and I'd take a few days off from it. 
And then I jumped back on, you know, when my heart was mended again. So I jumped back on. And what do I see about 45 minutes from here? Oh, wait. So I decided, you know what? Let's see if we can't just buy a cheap project that runs that that'll be that'll accomplish the same thing. Let's keep the blue truck. Let's take some miles off of it. The mileage burden of driving every day. That way the value can continue to stay even higher. And I can have something unique to drive back and forth to work. If it breaks down, no big deal. We got another vehicle. So anyway, what happens? 1984 F-250 shows up basically in Center Ridge, Arkansas, which is about, just call it an hour from my house. It's got the big boy in there, the 460. I've seen plenty of these trucks at this point after perusing Facebook and studying and and all that stuff. This would be known as the Bullnose F-150, or F-Series, by the way. Bullnose, 8286, I want to say. I might be wrong on that. Anyway, it's a bad dude. Uh, I already said extended cab, flatbed. Dually? If I didn't say dually, if I did, I don't even care. I'm saying it again. It's a dually. So I know what you guys are saying. That's no F-250. That's an F-350. Well, turns out they had an F-250 HD back in the day, and there were a few dually examples. So that's what this is. It's a bad dude. Did I say tilt bed? I know I didn't because I was waiting till the very end. It's a tilt bed. Tell me that's not sweet. Let me go over this again. 1984 F-250 460 four-wheel drive, extended cab with a flatbed, tilt bed, dually. Let it sink in. It's a bad truck. It's a bad truck. So I went to go check this thing out. He wanted 4,500 bucks for it. I don't mind disclosing the numbers to you guys on this stuff because we're talking not low dollars. Not everybody has $4,500 laying around. I'm just saying that this was not nearly what I was looking at or what I own. This is a, a project truck. So 4500 bucks. I go look at it. It's a little rougher than, than I wanted to see, but it was all the things that I like to do. Interior. I love doing interior stuff. Uh, maybe most people do. I don't know, but I feel like I'm pretty good at that stuff. Uh, electrical and lighting issues. I'm pretty good with electrical stuff. I, I know how to use a multimeter. I know how to use test leads. I'm pretty good at tracking that stuff down. So, you know, turn signals not working, things like that don't really scare me. So anyway... I told him, give me a day. I want to think about it. Well, luckily for me, I, I thought about it and let him know that next morning that I wanted the truck. And uh, we actually had negotiated down to $3,500 the night before. So he was okay with $3,500. Uh, I talked about it with Jessica. We decided that, yes, that was a worthy risk. And it it's uh, this fills a, a gap that none of my trucks do. It's huge. It's a big truck. It'll pull a lot. It's also got a fifth wheel. Or, they call it a gooseneck. I, I don't even know my terminology yet on that because I've never had to use it. But gooseneck. Anyway, it's already got that too. So I said, you know what? At the end of the day, we're going to have a big truck that can take, take bigger loads, which we're talking about upgrading a tractor in the next few years. So we're going to need that. So she approved it. Bought the truck. Uh, let me tell you about my drive home. So it's about an hour, right? We leave with roughly an hour before the sun sets. And I'm not talking sunset. I'm talking like 20 minutes after the sun goes down, stop shooting during deer season sunset. Like it is almost black by the time I made it home. During all that time, I realized I had no dash lights. Uh, we already talked about no turn signals. There were no running lights in the rear. Luckily, I had brake lights. Um, and my headlights were working and luckily the hazards worked on the rear. So once that sun started to set, I turned my hazards on and we cooked, we got home. Uh, but as I turned onto the back roads to my house 
and I went to dim the headlights for somebody that was coming. The All the headlights shut out, too. So now I have pretty much no lights at all. So anyway, we get her home, and uh, we start digging into it. I'm pumped about the project. I'll tell you, the biggest thing that's going wrong with it, it's got a rear main seal leak. But I knew I was going to have to spend a little bit of big money to do a couple bigger repairs on anything I was looking at in that price range. So I don't mind that that's the problem. So I've actually got that scheduled to go into the shop as much as I would love to do my first rear main seal replacement on a, on a two piece seal. So I've, I've done a one piece seal, two piece seals. You can actually do without having to take half the car apart. Right. So I, I think it would be a fun job. I just do not have the time. And so uh, I'm going to have to take it to somebody. I, I'm taking it to Heinz Automotive, if you guys care to know that. They're a killer uh, Napa-certified store repair center. They've been around a long time in Conway, but they were one of the few places that would work on something that old. We've got that going on. The interior's in great shape. Some of the seals are bad on the windows. But the other thing that I told my wife is that I'm ready for a truck that I can just call LMC and get a catalog. And what I'm saying by that is... With the love, with things like that, I want you guys to be real careful about what you go buy as a project. Think about this. My other two vehicles that I care deeply about, besides this new F-250, are the 1980 Love and the 1964 Imperial. Only 19,000 Imperials were made that year in this body style, okay? Some of you guys may know that the Imperial is the number one demolition derby car. So probably two-thirds of them get smashed. That's just what happens to them because they're such tough vehicles, right? So my point is, when I need a part for either of those, it is like pulling teeth to find them. Either you're buying used parts or you found somebody that has a CNC shop that's making parts, or if you're lucky, some of the essentials Rock Auto has in stock, like maybe brake pads, brake lines, things like that. But the funny thing is every time one of those boxes shows up from Rock Auto for those two trucks or two vehicles, you can tell those parts have been sitting on a shelf for 30 years, and that's the only reason I'm getting them. It's not because anybody's making parts for them these days. So... I think that my big warning to you guys needs to be if you're looking at getting into a project, and I'm going to say the same thing about guitars too, uh, get into something that has readily available parts to make it reliable, make it good looking and make it your own. If that stuff's not available and you're not really into that sort of fabrication and things like that, you're going to have a miserable time and you're going to spend so much money trying to track that stuff down. So I told my wife, I want something that I can get an LMC catalog for. Well, guess what? My LMC catalog showed up yesterday. I'm talking everything is in there, dude. Everything down to uh, body bushings. I mean, there's grill emblems, headlight bezels, everything you can imagine is reproduced for this truck. I got on Rock Auto to order some tune-up parts. My cart was $225 with, these days, Rock Auto is going to hit you with about $50 shipping from four different warehouses. You're going to have to pay t taxes on that too. So I think my parts were really like 175 bucks, and that was full tune-up with a 100-amp alternator three headlights. So I had a replacement ready to go. I mean, there were so many parts in that cart. Everything is so available and so cheap for that truck. And that is my biggest exciting thing about the truck. I think when I need it, I can go get whatever I want and, and it's not going to break my wallet either. So think about that, man. When you guys are going to look at some of this stuff, think about those couple things right there. How old do you really want to get? 
I had so many buddies. Thank you so much that I, I'm so thankful that I have these people in my life. Uncle Phil was one. Uh, Chad's uncle Carmen was one. Uh, I'm trying to think. There were a couple of you guys that said the same thing to me. They said, "Dude." Do not buy a Ford with a twin I-beam suspension for a daily driver. You're going to be going through tires. It's going to be miserable. You are not going to enjoy that as a daily driver. And I'm so thankful that I got something new enough that didn't have that. So those are the kind of things that you got to think about. What are you willing to put up with? What are you doing with the car? I'm trying to get a lot out of these cars. I know that most people are not trying to drive one three or four days a week to work. I'm trying to split duty between two vehicles if we haven't made that clear. So two, three, four days a week, I'm trying to take it 40 minutes round trip on back roads, which is really what I love to do. Be realistic about what you need out of that vehicle. What are the goals? What holes do you need to fill in your life that's going to make you want to keep that thing running, okay? So don't just go buy something just because it looks cool or or the worst is because it's cheap because that stuff's out there every day. And right now in the market we live in, if it's out there, that means there's not too many people that want it or it just got on the market. I caught this truck within two hours of that listing popping up. And as soon as I handed that dude the cash, he said, well... You just made about literally 30 to 50 other people mad that he had in his inbox on on Marketplace. And, you know, that's something I told Jessica this. That's something you say on the front end of a negotiation, not after somebody hands you the cash. He didn't even bother to mention that because he did, you know, he was a really honest dude. I was happy to buy the truck from him. But, yeah, there were tons of people looking for that truck. So, be aware of that stuff, guys, uh, which reminds me of another thing somebody was brought up again that I hadn't thought about in a while. Just because it's rare doesn't mean it's awesome. Usually rare things mean that it was not popular because it wasn't that good. So that's not the case all the time. Just be aware of that stuff, okay? So that that's the number one point I want to make. Be realistic about what you need it to do and what you can afford to work on. We already talked earlier about making sure that you got something running and that you can drive home. That was a few podcasts ago, but that definitely holds true. And then the other one, make sure that parts are available for that thing. You know what one of the biggest things I do now when I'm thinking about buying something used is I go on YouTube and I type in that specific model and I try and find every repair video I can find on that thing. And then I'm going to Google it and I'm going to search through some forums, even though, man, it's tough to sift through a forum these days. I'm going to do it and I'm going to try and find anything that might steer me away from that truck or that uh, chainsaw. Oh man, we got to talk about that too. I'm going to, I'm going to leave a note. We'll talk about that next podcast. Hopefully it'll be here. Okay. So, you know, in the case of this Ford that I, that I purchased, I had learned a little bit about some typical rust areas. I think that's a huge thing you need to know how to look for in a vehicle. Um, so that was some of the first things I did looked at the, uh, I believe they call them the coil, uh, mounts or uh, right there at the chassis. That's real notorious for having bad rot floor pans, obviously cab corners, things like that, man. I'm so glad I was able to see videos of where to look on that truck for those kind of trouble spots. But also I think it's important to learn a lot about what, you you know, by the time I bought this truck, I already knew that I was going to get terrible fuel mileage from a 460. I already knew what a rebuild kit was going to cost for that motor. I already looked up some simple parts, simple things, just so I could kind of wrap my head around some of the costs that are going to be associated with buying something old, which brings me to my next point. 
you need to go ahead and factor some things in when you're going to buy something right out of the gate. And I think that the majority of those are are safety related. So first thing, man, and my stepdad used to say this, and uh, Coker Tire says the same thing. Obviously, it's a good sales pitch for him. But the best thing you can do for any used vehicle is a brand new set of tires. Just go ahead and do it. If you can afford to do it, at least buy a new set of tires. Or if you can't afford new, then at least get a set of good certified, what's certified, used tires, okay? There's plenty of used tire place out there. But you need something that not only has tread, but does not have uh, cracking or, or rot. And also, there's a date code on there where you can see when that tire was manufactured. You need to buy something that's been manufactured in the past few years, okay? We don't even live in like Arizona climates where my brothers all live. Those dudes, they can't even make a tire last just simply because of what the heat does to those tires on those roads. So the date code is very important for them. So that's going to be one of the first things that you need to look at if you're buying used tires or if the, if you think the vehicle has decent tires on them, okay? So, you know, that's one of the things where me, I didn't really factor in the fact that I'm paying for new shoes for a dually now. So that's six tires without a spare. It does not have a spare. So not only do I have to track down that rim, but I have to find that spare or pay for a spare tire too. So we're talking seven, roughly 32 inch all-terrain tires because I want it to look and be able to drive on any, any moderate terrain, all terrains as the tire suggests. Uh, so, you know, that's something you're going to have to factor. The next thing is brake systems. Okay. When I'm dealing with something real old, and I would say this truck is right on the cusp of it. Um, it's not so old that, that I'm going to replace everything, but it's also not so new that I'm not going to constantly have my eye on that master cylinder level. I'm always going to be looking down underneath the car and making sure I don't see any dripping down the tires. That's a quick indicator of a, a wheel cylinder going out or a caliper or, or line, you know, just all sorts of little issues like that. But if it's old enough, you better believe I'm going to get a master cylinder. I'm going to get new soft lines. I'm going to get new pads and shoes new cylinders. I'm going to, I'm probably not going to get new calipers if they seem like they're functioning. Uh, but on the rear, I'm going to give you a tip here. If you open up a rear brake drum, do yourself a favor, buy a full set of shoes, buy both wheel cylinders, buy the hardware kit. I promise it's worth it. Just the time alone, you're going to save from not cleaning brake junk off of all the springs and, and washers that are back there. Buy yourself a hardware kit, and there is one soft line that feeds both those rear shoes or front shoes, depending on the uh, vehicle. Uh, actually, you know what? I think the, the front has to have independent uh, soft lines. So in the rear, you have one soft line. So you're not talking that much more money to buy a small hose and a hardware kit, and you will feel so much better about the reliability of those brakes, which they're shoes. So you're you're already not going to have the best stopping power. So you need to give yourself every chance you can. Like the Imperial again, 50, I think it's 5,400 pounds four sets of drums. So the braking is not quite there, especially for that big of a car with that much power. It's got a 413 under the hood. So that brake system has to be important, right? It really does. So right out of the gate, we know that we can roll safely and we can stop safely. The next thing you've got to focus on is just at least put your peepers on the front end of that thing and check out the tie rod ends, check out all the steering linkage and make sure there's no just real bad ghetto work 
work down there on the, I know in the case of the love, one of the tie rod ends had a metal strap welded to it, to it and the threaded end just to keep it all together. So things like that. Do you really want to be rolling down the road at 75 miles an hour? Well, the love ain't going to do 75, but 55 miles an hour, even with a, a tie rod in that's got a welded strap on it. I don't. So those kind of things need to be addressed. Okay. So if you can fix those three things, then you are going to be so much safer doing anything in that vehicle. Now, I do want to point out a few other things that I think are easy and important to look at when you're looking at something older. You need to look at the wiring, and I don't I know you can't crawl under everything on that truck or car, but what you can do is you can stick your head under the dash and you can make sure that you don't see any weird sort of ghetto splices under there with the ignition. A lot of people like to tap into there for power. So check for that stuff. If you see it, it's not the end of the world. Just make sure it's clean and make sure everything's functioning properly, right? Now, here's something that I am going to use possibly, which is the next thing you need to do is check out that fuse block. And if you see wires crammed into fuses or things like that, that is a very ghetto way to add power power to something. And that's the kind of stuff that scares me in a vehicle. Okay. That's the kind of stuff that I want to look for around that fuse block. Now there's proper ways to do it. And I guess, you know, even if somebody had done it cleanly, I could put up with a lot of stuff in that situation, but just be mindful of what you're looking at. If it looks like bad work, it is bad work. So the next place I'm going to go is I'm going to look at the battery terminals. I might even try and look at the date of the battery if I'm in there, because these days that's a hundred dollar bill plus, no matter how you slice it. So I might like to know if the battery is older than three years old, but I'm going to look at those terminals and same thing, make sure that any, any add-ons or any splicing that's been done is proper. And then the next place I'm going to go is that starter solenoid on the firewall. Okay. By checking those things and just looking for anything that's not factory, you don't have to have the most tuned eye for it. You just need to be able to identify what's not factory and whether it looks somewhat kosher to you or whether it looks like it might control a large component of the vehicle. Okay. Things to look out for. You may not be as nerdy as me when it comes to the wiring stuff, but I do want to demystify the voltage um, voltage meter, how easy it is to use that. So one thing to think about with that, well, I know a lot of people get, get thrown off by the fact that if you have a multimeter in your hand, you have a common right down the middle, which is a black, right? And then there's usually two reds on there. There's a left red and a right red. But all you really need to check any major components voltage-wise is just that voltage side. So there'll be a V for voltage, just like on the other side, you'll see the ohm signal or symbol, sorry. You'll see a current symbol. There's a continuity meter on there. So all you need to do is plug that lead into the one that says V because we're looking for voltage, okay? And then you just need to turn that dial to the different voltage options. And there's usually multipliers on there. I don't know which one you does just put it on any of them it doesn't even matter if it's if the decimals moved left or right one place you're just looking for the number 12 if you don't see the number 12 well if we're talking uh, well i see the only thing i can reference is a mustang so mustang 64 and a half would have been six volt generator system so a lot of stuff early 60s and back is going to be six volt generator 
But same concept. Look for the number six. So you're just looking for 12 volts of continuity through a lot of different things. So the best place to start to make sure your meter's working great, put it on that battery, man. Put that hot in that ground right on top of that battery. Get your voltage where it's supposed to be reading and make sure you see 12.6 or 12.7 is what you're looking for on a fully charged battery. What else is that going to tell us if it's something that's supposed to be running? That's going to tell us if our charging system's working properly. I mean, I guess they could had it on a charger right before you got there and then snuck it off before you got there but for the most part if that thing's showing 12.6 or 12.7 volts then we now know that we have a fully charged battery and we have a functioning charging system right so that's that's a good news so with that knowledge and with that tool you can test so many things on a truck going back to the f-250 I went to, uh, so against my wife's best wishes, I decided that I wanted to take it into work. So I did that and made it to work just fine. Back roads were great. Uh, original radio works beautifully. So I had a great time with that. Got it to work just fine. Backed it into the spot, bragged about it to the boys. And then I decided, Hey, Alex, let's go take this thing for a spin, man. So we jump in the truck and, uh, I said, you need to feel the power of a 460. And I put my foot into it. And as soon as I did, we lost all power to the truck. I mean, she just stopped dead in her tracks. Nothing. So anyway, surprisingly, uh, three grown men were able to push this thing uh, up a slight incline to its parking spot near the shop, which was great. But anyway, what I did, electrical uh, troubleshooting 101 bear style is, first thing, go get a manual. I don't care if it's Chilton's. I don't care if it's Haynes. If you're lucky enough, you can get like a factory repair manual for it. Get a repair manual. Go to the back. Find the diagram for that truck. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a scary thing to look at. It's a lot of wires going a lot of places. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. But here's the good news. You've got that multimeter already. So take the tip of one of those uh, leads and use that as a tracer on that map, okay? And follow it that way. That helps my eyes anyway. Just focus on what I'm trying to do. Now, here's what you need to understand. That factory diagram is also factory color codes listed. So let's go back to my problem. I lost all power. Well, I jump under the hood. It took me a couple hours to get to this point, by the way. This is not something I just know how to do instinctively. Uh, but after a couple hours, I realized, well, we've got something major going on here. I'm going to work my way back from here. Voltage meter, that's what I did. Then what I decided to do was I saw that there was a, a loose wire laying on the inner fender of the truck near the starter solenoid. And I thought, well, that, that seems, it's ghetto. It's got about five different splices on it. That seems like it might be important. What did I do? Tip from Bear right here. Go get yourself some Windex or some cleaner or some hot soap and water and a rag and get as close as you can to the end of that connector and clean that connector off and see if you can find those original color codes. In my case, it was pretty clear. I'm pretty colorblind, so I usually have to have somebody translate what I'm actually looking at. I think in this case, it was uh, black and orange. I look at my diagram, boom, black and orange is an important wire that goes directly from the alternator to the starter solenoid. I put that on there, put a new connector on there, took all the splices out, put a fresh lead on there, and boom, we got power. So everything's good, right? No, it's not. The truck still won't start. It'll turn over. That's a big boy. 460 takes a lot of battery power. So we were draining that thing. Luckily, I brought my dad's old school craftsman diehard tombstone charger with me. So we were keeping that battery fresh. And then I just decided to start attacking it with the voltmeter.
Terminator. So I had already figured out the, obviously the air's free. We know we're getting that. We are getting spark. We already figured that out. And so now we know it's a fuel issue. Well, it's a carburetor. So it was running just fine. So the chances of anything mechanical going bad when an electrical issue happened are slim to none, especially on this old school Holly 750 double pumper. What's up? Yeah, that's right. It's as big as the engine needed. Uh, so I knew that probably wasn't the issue. So then I worked my way back. I'm going to go ahead and check that filter. The filter looked all right. Funny side story on that, but I really don't feel like taking more of your time to tell it uh, but it does involve mistaking a fuel pump for a fuel filter so anyway everything looked good so then I decided to get the voltmeter out and say well let's make sure we're getting power to the pump so I go back there beauty of a, of a lift bed or a tilt bed is I just tilted that bed up and I was able to check all that out there was no unbolting of a tank or a bed check the harness and I'm getting 12 volts to the harness so my next thought was well I'm gonna replace the pump but I was running out of time so I came back on Sunday asked Uncle Phil if he wanted to come with me and uh, he said, well, go ahead and start it and let's see if I can figure out what's going on. So I turned it over and he said, well, what's this wire going over here? And it turns out what we thought was a fuel filter was actually an aftermarket fuel pump that somebody had spliced into the harness at the tank. So yes, we were getting 12 volts out to the tank, but then it was coming to a secondary pump and that pump had gotten blown from and, and just worn out probably over time, but the pump was bad. So go to the auto parts store, buy a new pump, put it on there and boom, we're done. But a lot of that could not have been done without that voltmeter or at least a test slide or, a, you know, just a continuity meter. There's so many ways you can do it, but that's the way I would do it. Anyway, that that's that's some of the bigger things I would focus on with the electrical. I know that was a a long story, I guess, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, it's a sweet truck. I can't wait for you to see it. Now, here's the deal with the mechanical stuff, man. There's just it's very hard these days to dig too deep into that. And I guess the reason I say that is because most sellers are not going to be keen on you cracking a spark plug and doing a compression test, which is really the only thing that I kind of know to do to really check an engine. You can see scoring in the cylinder walls, things like that. So I just, it's not, it's not a viable option a lot these days. So a couple things I'm going to do, I'm going to check the fluids, man. If it's a running vehicle, those fluids should be topped off. They should look good. Hopefully the oil's not black as night, but even if it is, you know, if the fluid level's where it needs to be, then I, I'm kind of okay with that. Obviously you don't want to see milk in there. You don't want to see milk in the radiator. That's bad news bears. Make sure it shifts, man. And this is the big thing. It's exciting. It's a new vehicle. It's so easy to overlook things. Even when I got this thing home, you know, like I just find things that I thought, man, I wish I would have caught that. Luckily for me, like I said, it's inexpensive stuff, but it's there. So take your time. Don't rush. Make sure that you go in a time when you've got plenty of time to look. The seller's got plenty of time to look. If you've got somebody you trust, take them with you. I've already told you the story about the love, but man, I took Matt Ross and Uncle Phil with me when I bought the love. I mean, seek the advice of your elders. That's what they're there for. So, you know, have fun. Be willing to take some risks, but try and make it as calculated of a risk as possible. And again, keep in mind, no matter what it is, you're going to spend some money. You're going to need to do a tune-up on that motor no matter what, in my opinion. I want to know that I have good plugs, good wires, good cap, 
and a good rotor. That stuff is so cheap to me, and the and the reliability of knowing or the the peace of mind and knowing that it's brand new and that I did it makes me feel great. Okay, then at that point you can inspect your cylinder walls. You can do all that stuff. You can even do a compression test if you want at that point. But do a tune up on that. Replace your fuel filter. You know, I would say put a fresh battery in there if it's less than if it's any more than two years old, even three years old. There's a couple things that you're going to need to spend that money on right out of the gate. So factor that stuff in. We talked about this already. Whatever you think your budget's going to be, you might as well triple it. Like I said, this is like my fourth or fifth classic vehicle. I still forgot things like, oh, seven tires. That's a hefty price. So think about it. Have fun. Buy yourself something sweet, and you better be swift on that market. It's hot. But you know what? That's enough about old cars. It's time to talk about our canoe that we recently purchased. Last time you guys heard, we had some issues with registration, got it all squared away. Uh, since then, man, it's been awesome. Uh, we actually just picked up uh, the Academy trailer that they offer for the flat bottom boats. It fits it perfectly. It's small. It's aluminum. It, I mean, it's just great. And it makes it so convenient for when I do have the option to just back right up on the on the uh, loading ramp there. So that's been awesome. Uh, we did take it camping with us, but I had to throw it on the rack on the truck, um, which I actually left the rack at work and had to go back and get. That's one of the biggest frustrations about camping to me is like as hard as I am on myself about making sure that everything goes right. I sure do forget a lot of little things when I get there and I let them, I let them drag me down and beat me up. So I got to be better about that. And once I get there, you know, I, I always endeavor to persevere, as the Indian said on, uh, dang it, what was that? The Outlaw Josie Wales? Nah, I don't know. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. Anyway, I always endeavor to persevere, so I, I don't let those things keep me from accomplishing what I want. But I'm real quick to beat myself up for getting the handle for the Dutch oven lid or, you know, just little things like that. So I try to be better about that. But anyway, I forgot the rack, so I had to go back and get that. And uh, just like I loved about that canoe, man, that thing's 75 pounds. I was able to throw it on top of that rack easily, unload it easily. We had a bit of a chore getting it into the water just because we tried to load it directly down the hill from the campsite. And it was a little too twiggy. I didn't really feel that good about it, but we made it happen. Uh, when it was time to load it back up, though, at the end of the, the trip, I had Jessica drive the truck down to the loading dock and loading ramp. Uh, and I uh, just took the nice drive back to the ramp with the canoe. It took about 45 minutes because we just have the troller motor, but I really did enjoy it. And uh, it was easy to just pull that thing under the shade, get everything out of the boat, throw it back on the rack. So we really had a good time with it. Funny story, I, I almost got caught buying another boat the other day. A good friend of mine, uh, Russell, said that his wife... Uh, I had Google or Oogled over one of their projects they had laying around, which was a an early 60s Alumacraft V-Hull with a uh, front center console on it. And it had an Evan Rude motor on the back. It was sweet, man. And uh, I drove by one day after picking up some logs from him, just texted him and said, whose boat is that? And he said, it's my wife's, it's a project. And that was the end of it. Well, it turns out she's trying to liquidate some projects, which I plan to do soon too. I was the first person they called. The price was right. 
Um, I really wanted that boat, but I needed another project like a hole in the head. And as much as I wanted to be the one to hoard that boat for myself, it needs to go some, to somebody that can work on it right away. The other thing that's kind of stopped me dead in my tracks was, yes, it's pre-1972, which means it doesn't necessarily need a whole number. But guess who you got to contact to get it fixed anyway? The same lady that denied me the ride on the canoe. So I really didn't feel like getting into another situation with that. I didn't feel like going south or having any issues. And again, I wanted that to go to a good home. And we didn't need to spend the money, bottom line. Sometimes you just got to know when to not spend it. Any of you guys that know me know that I love buying low, doing some work, putting in some blood, sweat, and tears, and selling high. That's one of my biggest thrills, I think, is bringing things back from the dead and knowing that I've got some some equity in, in that at the, in the end of the project. But, uh, man, I just had to let that one go. It wasn't right for us. But if any of you guys want to get me a birthday present, I want a round windshield V-hull aluminum boat from the 60s so bad. I'll even take a fiberglass ski boat. But I love 60s curved windshield boats. I think there's nothing cooler on the water. Chris Crafts, but I, I doubt any of you guys are going to get me one of those for, for my birthday. You might team up, get me one for Christmas. We'll see. I'm not going to put any pressure on you, whatever. But, you know, the canoe has been a joy. We had so much fun with it. Speaking of the canoe, I was able to get some work in with my uh, with my new bait caster. Boys and girls, I don't know about the bait caster. It's a pain in the butt. I'm trying so hard to wrap my head around how to use that pole, and I see the benefits of it. I see how awesome it is to be able to stop a lure dead in its tracks in the air and drop it right where you want. I do. I really do think that when it works right, it works incredibly. Am I not supposed to overhand cast with it? Is that something I'm doing wrong? If so, then the side cast is very difficult for me because that's just hard to get my wrap my hand around that posture. But I still gave it a college effort. I got that thing so knotted up Friday uh, that I had to basically... Uh, I had the uh, braided line on there. And so I told Jessica, I, th I think it's just the fact that, A, I'm not good enough to have the bait caster, much less one with the braided line, which I felt like knotted up a lot easier. So I went to the local uh, fish fish tackle store, LJ's in Lake Village. If you guys are familiar, listen, let me tell you a little sidebar about LJ's. The food is incredible. Their burgers are so good. We found out their onion rings were incredible this week. Attached to their restaurant, uh, which they don't have menus for you to look at because it's changed so many times over the years. They just have one to reference on the counter uh, and it's been scribbled through. And I think it was like 15 pages. My wife being who she is and being the ever hungry, always into food person. I, I'm pretty sure she took a picture of every page which is how we knew, you know, a couple things to order that we never ordered before. So anyway, their food's incredible, but attached to that, they have LJ's Bait Shop. Very limited supply. It's easy to tell what works on that lake because if it doesn't work, it's been sitting there and has 40 years of dust on top of it. So there's some power bait colors you probably aren't going to want to try. Uh, there's like a random used bra hanging for sale. Uh, there's some individual tampons out of the box, which my wife pointed out on this most recent trip. Uh, one time there was a case on the bottom, which looked like it was a, an accordion case. So I opened it, um, and it was the lady's sister's. And they thought it was a typewriter, which why that would be on the retail shelves of a bait shop. I don't know, but I love LJ's bottom line. Anyway, went to LJ's, my local bait shop there in Lake Village. Check them out. Get the bacon double. Don't get the double cheeseburger. That's huge. Bacon cheeseburger. 
You will not regret it. And get the fries. Cajun, I think. Anyway, all they had was monofilament line, but it was 17-pound test. So I picked some of that up, took it back to the to the campsite, and I said, we're only going to put about half the amount of line on this, uh, and maybe I'll have a better chance of not getting so caught up. And I did better with it. I really did. Um, it's just very frustrating, mainly in tight spaces. I think when I was on open water at Lake Conway with it, I really enjoyed it, especially throwing the, uh, the little frog lure that I have that, that, uh, like jumps the lily pads. I can't remember. There's a fancy name for it. I'm sure. But anyway, Texas rig, that stuff's real fun. So in open water, I think I'm better in the bayou. It was a little tight. And I think I was limited by my casting skills, to be honest with you, which I'm pretty good with a, uh, what do they call that? A, you know, what open reel, whatever that is. But anyway, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still going to give it uh, some more effort. Probably need to put a, uh, not a monofilament. What do they call it? I can't remember, but you guys know. Poly something, maybe. Anyway, this is the other problem with the bayou is there is so many, there's so many fallen trees in there. There's so much junk. We don't have a fish finder, so I don't really know what's underneath us. So a lot of times, especially Jessica, man, she gets snagged up. So really the safest bet out there is about 18 inches or less on a bobber. That way we can guarantee, actually you can't guarantee it. I think she's still got stuck on some stuff, but there's a lot of junk out there and I just don't know where it is. So it was very frustrating, but I didn't give up. I fished uh, four days in a row, basically had a great time doing it. But I'm getting a little better with the bait caster. We bought Jessica a Zebco 33 Classic this weekend. That was in LJ's bait shop. I was very surprised that they had not only that one, but a couple different versions of the, the Zebco 33. And she had, I, I don't even know where I end up ended up with this rod and reel, but it was terrible. She likes a closed reel, which I get that. But this thing, I mean, it felt like turning plastic a toy. I mean, it was real bad. So... I, I told her she needed to get the Zebco 33. I said, listen, I'm trying to put you in, a, in an elite class of fishermen that recognize and respect the heritage of the 33. And I'm doing so by making sure that you get the classic version, which looks straight out of 1970 and it rules. So we got her that. I'm pumped about that. But we had a good time fishing, man. You know, the big thing other than the fishing was that we took the 18, uh, pre-1880s Dutch oven with us. And we were able to make a meal in that. Uh, to actually, we fried some fish in it, too. So we made two meals in it. But, man, it was super fun. I'll tell you what. Camp Dutch Oven is is hard on the back. It's hard on the back. I don't have that table that puts it, like, uh, you know, at 30 inches or whatever. So I was just working on the ground. And, man, it was tough. So that's the one thing that I just... I got to I gotta get that squared away. Because that's a lot of kneeling and bending over. And uh, I'm I'm 38 years old. Back's a little tight, you know. Uh, it was it was tough, but I definitely enjoyed it. Honestly, I I cooked it uh, one time on a uh, 12 inch uh, paver. It was like an inch and a half thick paver, and I think that it ended up being like a heat sink. I don't know much about that kind of stuff, but I feel like I had to use way too many coals to keep up with the fact that I was heating up a concrete brick as well. And I, I kind of even feel dumb saying that, but I don't see how a brick is any less of a heat sink than, 
a, a plate of steel, which is what those people, what people would normally do it on or the dirt, which seems like an incredible heat sink. So I really don't know. Maybe I'm just, I got to get used to it, but there's definitely a trick to the Dutch oven. And I would just say for now, if you guys are going to mess with one, you might as well prepare to cook. That meal's going to take three times as long as it should. Cause it took me forever to make a breakfast casserole, which I can usually make in about 30, 45 minutes on the stove. So it was a whole lot of fun, though. Uh, we did get rained on Sunday evening, and man, it was it was rough. It was rough. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why. One, we made our own spot this time. Her dad told us that basically we could put the camper wherever we wanted to clear. So we clear a little spot close to the water, and the slope was very attractive when the when it was dry when it started raining it quickly became a muddy mess uh which is not a problem right so i said i like the rain in a camper i think it's great you know let's get inside our beautiful new-ish camper and let's enjoy the rain the the, uh the canopy was hanging hanging in there just fine and it was not until i stood up to get a drink out of the cooler that i realized there was a puddle of water on the floor and so immediately I looked to see if there was a cooler leak, thinking this trailer's too new. It's too new. So look for a cooler leak. Couldn't find that. Look for a bottle of water that might have gotten tipped over. Couldn't have found that. So what I did find was water just ripping into the back of my camper from the corner of the canopy that's or the awning that's touching the the camper and my seal on the bottom of the camper close to the frame was old enough that that water was literally pouring in there uh, at a pretty fast rate. So uh, grabbed every towel we could find, put it in front of there. The rain finally stopped. Here's the funny thing about uh, about the way my brain works, I guess. A few hours, maybe maybe a few days. It might have been a couple days before that. We were at Dollar General. It was a couple days because the mosquitoes were so bad this time that we had to go buy some sweatpants just to put something long on my legs because the bugs love them. So a few days before we were at Dollar General, and I was just looking around waiting for my wife to shop for whatever she was shopping for, and I saw some flex tape. It's probably like five-inch wide flex tape. And it was five feet long. This is the flex, like a flex seal or whatever the, the infomercial was. This is a derivative of that, right? It's just another, another product they offer. So flex tape, which I've seen the infomercials and they say that you can put it on in wet conditions on wet substrate. So I thought, man, that, that might be handy to have with a wooden canoe. If a man were to hit a big stump that he couldn't see in the water, might be nice to have some flex tape on board. So I bought that. But it wasn't the canoe that needed the flex tape. So remember, five feet wide, that's what this roll is. My camper is five feet wide. As soon as that weather dried up enough for me to get out there and get it somewhat dry, I slapped that flex tape from one end to the other and was able to completely cover up that seal and get us through the rest of the night. So, man, that stuff works. I mean, it wasn't flawless, and it definitely would not have worked if I was in a boat with a hole in it like they advertise. Um, it helped in a moist situation. I don't think it would work in a flat-out wet situation. But it did save us, man. Saved us big time. So props to the flex tape. 
uh, go get you a roll. I mean, I was thinking about it. You know, the teardrops have a real bad problem of leaking in the corners on the bottom near the frame where that's, it's a real extreme bend on that molding. And that molding always wants to pull away from the camper. And so the screws over time, if any rot or anything gets in there or that wood gets any moisture, then those fibers are going to give out. So that's one of the toughest spots to keep drying a teardrop. If you guys are thinking about buying one, man, I would say think twice, honestly. This is my second teardrop. I love it, but it ain't for everybody. It's it's not for everybody. So you guys really need to be aware of that. But uh, teardrops are, they have tons of leaks, especially if you have a galley, there's tons of areas that are going to give you problems. If you really don't stay on top of the trim and stay on top of the uh, ceiling, uh, which brings me to my next point. I did not realize how important that regular maintenance is on those seals. Um, you kind of, I've heard people talk about it. Um, I've never bought a camper new, so nobody's ever told me like the regimen of taking care of one, but let me tell you, there's that that molding that goes over the screws, that rubber flexible molding. Mine had shrunken and gotten so dry over it's 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 literally like a three year old camper uh, that it was like an inch and a half away from the end of where it needed to be. So that alone, that's that's bad, that's bad news. But then the other deal is that all the sealant at this point had shrunken back enough to where all it took was one little gap, and that gap happened to line up perfectly with where that water was shedding off of that uh, that awning and man it was pouring in there like a sieve so uh get you some flex tape keep it around so you can cut little pieces up in case you get an emergency or if like me if you need that whole five foot strip you got it but also man if you got a camper a you need to get a cover for it i know they're expensive i know they're gonna ruin and, and get get trashed in three or four years that's just the way it goes if you're lucky to get three or four years out of one if you're lucky you can pull your camper under cover but guys you got to pay attention to those seals uh, th this is my second camper. Like I've said, I've had nothing but leak problems with both of them because I'm lazy about maintaining those seals. If you want your camper to go to crap, don't maintain your seals. <laughs> um, but I'm telling you, man, that's, it's so important. So, uh, anyway, that's really all I got. That's all I got. We had an amazing time. I've already said that. I think that shows how, how awesome of a time I've had, you know, this is anniversary to it. It's, it's actually in a few days. It's on the 14th, but two years of marriage is, is it's taught me a lot and I can't imagine. Um, well I can, because I, I seek your guys' wisdom on a lot of different occasions, but you, you folks that have been married for 10, 15, 20, 30 plus years. I just, man, hats off to you. It's, it's so incredible to me. The things I've learned in the past couple of years, and I just want to say that I love my wife and that I'm so fortunate that I have somebody that makes me feel strong and makes me feel smart and funny and hardworking. And, and she does it when I feel the exact opposite of all those things. When I'm at my laziest, that's when she motivates me and makes me feel like I'm the most uh, motivated person she's ever known. When I feel my, my ugliest or my least attractive, that's when she makes me feel my best. So get you a good woman. And that's what you need. You need somebody that makes you feel better than you already feel. They're not going to make you feel good if you feel bad about yourself, but they're going to make you feel great about yourself if you feel good about yourself. And it's taken me a long time to feel good about myself, but I do. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to find somebody as incredible as Jessica 
And uh, I hope you listen to this, baby. I love you. You're my sawdust beauty. I know I can be mean. I know I can be grumpy. But I hope you stick around with me for a long time. All right, guys. This has been, I believe, episode number eight. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, we're gonna we're just gonna keep rolling like this for a little while. I think, you know, like I told you in the beginning, this is all kind of fluid with me. It's all new to me. I'm just having a good time doing it. Uh, Lucas Anderson, my friend. I hope you listen to this. I hope you enjoy it. I owe you two apologies, probably more, but two that I can think of. First apology. Let's make it the easy one. You told me, you know what? I do owe you three apologies. First one's still the easy one. We spoke on the phone probably three weeks ago because I forgot to check on your mom's or your family's antique radio. So let's knock that one out right out of the gate. I'm sorry that I forgot to check on your radio. I hope you're listening to this. I know you are. So you need to give Marching at Stage Audio Electronics a call. All you guys need to call Marching at Stage Audio Electronics. Um, he said he's more than willing to work on your stereo system. Lucas has, it's probably 40s, 50s console radio when families would have gathered around the radio, not the TV. So that kind of radio. Piece of furniture in your home, beautiful. He wants to get it functioning. Marching is a bad dude. Stage Audio Electronics is certified to the hilt in every brand you can imagine. And it's not just your home electronics. So, I mean, that dude works on all my studio gear. So he just got some preamps working for me. I had the power supply to my console blow a little while back. He repaired that for us. He does all of our warranty work at the store. He works on my hi-fi gear. He knows how to work on record players. I mean, the dude knows it all. And to top it off, he answers that phone in less than three rings. He's always available, always friendly. I cannot say enough good things about Stage Audio Electronics. But trust me when I say this, that dude does not pay me anything. In fact, I pay full rates when I get my He might hook it up because, you know, he's my boy. You're my boy, Marching. I hope you hook it up a little bit. But I want you to make your money. Go get the dude to work on your stuff. He's incredible. Now, I am going to say, and this is really for you, Lucas. He's so incredible that he's not going to let you just drop off a piece of junk and not pick it up if you don't have time to get it repaired or you don't want to pay the money. So he's going to charge you a bench fee. It's going to be wrapped up in the cost of that repair. So don't even worry about it. If you have any electronics that are audio related at all and you care about them, you need to take them to marching. Okay. He's going to do a great job for you. I promise that. So, uh, Lucas, that was my first apology. Uh, let's see. What was the second apology? Oh, during that conversation on our phone, you said, do not wait another six weeks before you release a podcast and dead gum. If it hasn't been probably seven weeks. So apology number two is I'm sorry. I let it go even longer before I got you another podcast to listen to. I'm so thankful that you guys like to listen to this and your words of encouragement make it so much easier for me to keep going and to not feel like I'm just ranting on a microphone because I genuinely do love just talking about all sorts of things. And I'm totally okay with doing this every now and then and just jumping on the mic and talking about what I love with the people I love. So apology number two for taking so long and apology number three, and this is the big one is, uh, let's see, probably four years ago, maybe, maybe five years ago, maybe, maybe even longer. I hope not. John Baxter sold me or no, Lucas Anderson sold John Baxter and myself three 
late 40s, early 50s Ford pickups, all in bad condition but restorable. John decided that he did not want his part of those trucks, so I bought him out of his part of the trucks. So now I was the sole owner of three F-Series, late 40s, early 50s project trucks. Throughout the course of a year or so, we managed to get the best one to my house or to my land. So it's here now. Then, years later, after Lucas had bugged me and bugged me and bugged me, which he had every right because they're on his property in his way, in his view, in his field, I finally got a second one out of there. I had to go buy a set of used tires to make it happen. John pulled me down the road. This thing had no drivetrain in it. I almost slammed into the tractor because I also had no brakes, but I did have steering. I did have all windows busted out, including a ghetto sunroof cut into it. So the wind was fine, and it was a pretty good, I'm going to say half a mile drive in that truck. So two trucks out of the way. Third truck still sitting in Lucas's field. Guess what? It's still sitting in Lucas's field. Lucas. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible friend. Three apologies. I hope it's enough for you. We need to get that truck out of your field. Um, I'm going to make you a deal. I owe you one bush hogging with your tractor and your bush hog and probably your diesel and the beer of your choice. If you haven't already... Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. If you're gonna pick a boogie, might as well be this one.